Chapter Twenty Seven of Kenilworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kenilworth by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Twenty Seven. In my time, I have seen a boy do wonders. Robin, the red tinker, had a boy would a run through a cat hole. The coxcomb. Amid the universal bustle which filled the castle and its environs, it was no easy matter to find out any individual and Wayland was still less likely to light upon Tressilian, whom he sought so anxiously, because sensible of the danger of attracting attention in the circumstances in which he was placed, he dared not make general inquiries among the retainers or domestics of Leicester. He learned, however, by indirect questions, that in all probability Tressilian must have been one of a large party of gentlemen in attendance on the Earl of Sussex who had accompanied their patron that morning to Kenilworth, when Leicester had received them with marks of the most formal respect and distinction. He further learned that both earls with their followers, and many other nobles, knights, and gentlemen, had taken horse and gone towards Warwick several hours since, for the purpose of escorting the Queen to Kenilworth. Her Majesty's arrival, like other great events, was delayed from hour to hour, and it was now announced by a breathless post that Her Majesty, being detained by her gracious desire to receive the homage of her lieges, who had thronged to wait upon her at Warwick, it would be the hour of twilight ere she entered the castle. The intelligence released for a time those who were upon duty, in the immediate expectation of the Queen's appearance, and ready to play their part in the solemnities with which it was to be accompanied and Wayland, seeing several horsemen enter the castle, was not without hopes that Tressilian might be of the number, that he might not lose an opportunity of meeting his patron in the event of this being the case. Wayland placed himself in the base court of the castle, near Mortimer's tower, and watched every one who went or came by the bridge, the extremity of which was protected by that building. Thus stationed, nobody could enter or leave the castle without his observation, and most anxiously did he study the garb and countenance of every horseman, as, passing from under the opposite galley-tower, they paced slowly, or curvetted, along the tilt-yard, and approached the entrance of the base-court. But while Wayland gazed thus eagerly to discover him whom he saw not, he was pulled by the sleeve by one by whom he himself would not willingly have been seen. This was Dicky Sludge, or Flipperty Gibbet, who, like the imp whose name he bore, and whom he had been accoutred in order to resemble, seemed to be ever at the ear of those who thought least of him. Whatever were Wayland's internal feelings, he judged it necessary to express pleasure at their unexpected meeting. Ha! Ah, is it thou, my minikin, my miller's thumb, my prince of cockodemons, my little mouse? Ay, said Dickie, the mouse which gnawed asunder the toils, just when the lion who was caught in them began to look wonderfully like an ass. Thy, that little hop the gutter, thou art as sharp as vinegar this afternoon. But tell me, how didst thou come off with yonder jolter-headed giant, whom I left thee with? I was afraid he would have stripped thy clothes, and so swallowed thee, as men peel and eat a roasted chestnut. Had he done so, replied the boy, he would have had more brains in his guts than ever he had in his noodle. But the giant is a courteous monster, and more grateful than many other folk whom I have helped at a pinch, Master Wayland Smith. 
"'Beshrew me, Flibbertigibbet, replied Wayland, "'but thou art sharper than a Sheffield whittle. "'I would I knew by what charm you muzzled yonder old bear.' "'Ay, that is in your own manner,' answered Dicky. "'You think fine speeches will pass muster instead of good will. "'However, as to this honest porter, "'you must know that when we presented ourselves at the gate yonder, "'his brain was overburdened with the speech that had been penned for him, "'and which proved rather an overmatch for his gigantic faculties. "'Now this same pithy oration had been indicted, like sundry others, "'by my learned magister, Erasmus Holliday.' so I had heard it often enough to remember every line. As soon as I heard him blundering and floundering like a fish upon dry land, through the first verse, and perceived him at a stand, I knew where the shoe pinched, and I helped him to the next word, when he caught me up in an ecstasy, even as you saw but now. I promised, as the price of your mission, to hide me under his bearish gabardine, and propped him in the hour of need. I've just now been getting some food in the castle, and am about to return to him. That's right, that's right, my dear Dicky, replied Wayland. Haste thee, for heaven's sake, else the poor giant will be utterly disconsolate for want of his dwarfish auxiliary. Away with thee, Dicky. Ay, ay, answered the boy, away with thee, Dicky, when we have got what good of him we can. You will not let me know the story of this lady, then, who is as much sister of thine as I am. "'Why, what good would it do thee, thou silly elf?' said Wayland. "'Oh, stand ye on these terms,' said the boy. "'Well, I care not greatly about the matter. "'Only I never smell out a secret, "'but I try to be either at the right or the wrong end of it. "'And so good evening to ye.' "'Nay, but Dickie,' said Wayland, "'who knew the boy's restless and intriguing disposition too well "'not to fear his enmity. "'Stay, my dear Dickie.' Part not with old friends so shortly. Thou shalt know all I know of the lady one day. Ay, said Dickie, and that day may prove a nigh one. Fare thee well, Wayland. I will to my large-limbed friend, who, if he have not so sharp a wit as some folk, is at least more grateful for the service which other folk render him. And so again, good evening to ye. So saying, he cast a somerset through the gateway and, lighting on the bridge, ran with the extraordinary agility which was one of his distinguishing attributes towards the gallery tower, and was out of sight in an instant. "'I would to God I were safe out of this castle again,' prayed Wayland internally, "'for now that this mischievous imp has put his finger in the pie, it cannot but prove a mess fit for the devil's eating. I would to heaven Master Tressilian would appear.' "'Tressilian,' whom he was thus anxiously expecting in one direction, had returned to Kenilworth by another access. It was indeed true, as Wayland had conjectured, that in the earlier part of the day he had accompanied the earls on their cavalcade towards Warwick, not without hope that he might in that town hear some tidings of his emissary. Being disappointed in this expectation, and observing Varney amongst Leicester's attendants, seeming as if he had some purpose of advancing to and addressing him he conceived in the present circumstances it was wisest to avoid the interview he therefore left the presence chamber when the high sheriff of the county was in the very midst of his dutiful address to her majesty and mounting his horse rode back to kenilworth by a remote and circuitous road 
and entered the castle by a small sally port in the western wall at which he was readily admitted as one of the followers of the earl of sussex towards whom leicester had commanded the utmost courtesy to be exercised it was thus that he met not wayland who was impatiently watching his arrival and whom he himself would have been at least equally desirous to see having delivered his horse to the charge of his attendant he walked for a space in the pleasance and in the garden rather to indulge in comparative solitude his own reflections than to admire those singular beauties of nature and art which the magnificence of leicester had there assembled the greater part of the persons of condition had left the castle for the present to form part of the earl's cavalcade others who remained behind were on the battlements outer walls and towers eager to view the splendid spectacle of the royal entry the garden therefore while every other part of the castle resounded with a human voice was silent but for the whispering of the leaves the emulous warbling of the tenants of a large aviary with their happier companions who remained denizens of the free air and the plashing of the fountains which forced into the air from sculptures of fantastic and grotesque forms fell down with ceaseless sound into the great basins of italian marble the melancholy thoughts of tressilian cast a gloomy shade on all the objects with which he was surrounded he compared the magnificent scenes which he here traversed with the deep woodland and wild moorland which surrounded lidcote hall and the image of amy robsart glided like a phantom through every landscape which his imagination summoned up nothing is perhaps more dangerous to the future happiness of men of deep thought and retired habits than the entertaining an early long and unfortunate attachment it frequently sinks so deep into the mind that it becomes their dream by night and their vision by day mixes itself with every source of interest and enjoyment and when blighted and withered by final disappointment it seems as if the springs of the heart were dried up along with it this aching of the heart this languishing after a shadow which has lost all the gaiety of its colouring this dwelling on the remembrance of a dream from which we have been long roughly awakened is the weakness of a gentle and generous heart and it was that of tressilian he himself at length became sensible of the necessity of forcing other objects upon his mind and for this purpose he left the pleasance in order to mingle with the noisy crowd upon the walls and view the preparation for the pageants 